When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are back, Tom Bernard Show, with... Ralph Basham, a.k.a. Hackmaster. Catherine Brent. Andy Brent Bernard. Cassie Schrader. We will be right back in a couple of seconds. Hour two, Tom Bernard Show. Walzer Automotive Group started in Minnesota over 60 years ago. Most people know something about the Walzer way. Upfront, no haggle pricing, work with one person from start to finish, or the free lifetime powertrain warranty on most vehicles sold in Minnesota. What you might not know is they are the only automotive group that is a member of the Keystone Club. They join such great Minnesota companies as General Mills, Target, Cargill, the Twins, Wolves, and Vikings in pledging 5% pre-tax profits to local charities. It's a great example of their core values. Do the right thing, display positive energy, be open-minded, and lead by example. So if you're in the market for a new or used car, check out walzer.com or stop into one of their dealerships. Please don't say, tell them Tommy sent you, because it sounds fake, and I hate it. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company, and they start asking you questions, or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Got the papers and the trash. No spending cash. Don't talk back. I sing this to my uh, kids when I try and tell them to do chores. Yeah, get, get no spending cash. Yeah. Well, Catherine, yes? your TV show Homeland's going to come to an end. That's good. It sucks. I thought it sucked after the second year. I thought it was terrible. You're probably right. I don't know why, but I have this thing when I've dedicated like two to three three seasons. Because usually the second season usually stinks. And then then the third season usually comes back. I'm like, okay, once I'm in three seasons, I like want to watch it to the end of time even if it sucks really? i don't know why i don't know what Do that really? is about me maybe i'm hoping it'll just like have a phenomenal season and i'll be happy but i thought the first season was really good i thought the second season was really good the third season i thought was horrendous and i haven't watched it since when which one did you was that when brody left the show or was he still on there or was he, he was... missing for a while yeah, and yeah they milked that character for quite some time but now Ma- he's doing billions mandy patenkin became unbelievable 
unbearable. Yeah. Mr. Preachy. Yes. You know, he's uh, been a pain in the ass on most almost every series he's ever been on. Has he? He was on Criminal Minds, and he caused nothing but pain and suffering there. They and, got rid of him, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. Or I think they he said he quit, but I think they got rid of him. They got rid of a lot of people on that show. Thomas Gibson. Because Thomas Gibson got mad at somebody and kicked them, so they fired him. Well, that's yeah, that's not good. You don't be kicking people. <laughs> Shouldn't do that. I kicked Ralph once, but yeah, that was it. And I took it. Uh, and he said, please, sir, may I have some more? <laughs> please, sir, can I have another? Yeah. Like, Who does he think he is? Jeremy Clarkson? Yeah, Jeremy exactly. Clarkson, yeah. you know, uh, clocked somebody at the BBC, and they just dumped the whole show. Yeah, Their they did. best show ever, all time. Yep. They dumped, dumped Talk Beer, so. Homeland is going to end with its eight. Do you ever watch that, Cassie? No, I... It looked too depressing. It is kind of like it is depressing. Um, kind of like Breaking Bad. It just. Yeah. Um, I never watched that either. I watched two episodes and didn't like it. Yeah. I don't want to watch somebody selling meth to people. Ish. I like hum- I I watch TV for humor, and when there's no humor, it's kind of. Uh, I agree. I mean, I started watching Castle Rock yeah. on Hulu, which is about the world of Stephen King. It's, it surrounds about oh. this um, mm-hmm. oh, fictional yeah, town right. of Castle yeah. Rock. So he's. It's all these little pieces of all these iconic Stephen King movies. Mm. And it's just so dark, you know? And I'm like, I don't know. Sort of, if... Kind of like the DC universe? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a huge, I'm more Marvel than DC. I know, but DC's dark. That's a DC oh dark God, universe. Here see, that, we go. But see, I love Dexter because even though it's about a serial killer, there was a lot of humor in it. But he was a serial killer with a heart. Mm, yes. Yeah, that's right. Don't, <laughs> let's not yeah. forget it. <laughs> but yeah, it just, I don't know. Homeland to me was kind of eh, not my cup of tea. Homeland's going to end with its eighth season next year, but Showtime Network CEO David Nevins doesn't want to hear the word cancellation. Mm. Alex Ganza. The series co-creator and showrunner will bring the show to its proper conclusion. Nevin stole the Television Critics Association summer press tour Monday. Per The Hollywood Reporter, the final season of the espionage thriller, which was based on the Israeli series Prisoners of War, will premiere in June 2019, reports Variety. Months before Nevin's made it official, Ganza and star Claire Danes uh, had said the eighth season would be the last. And it will be the last. How was she? Was she still good? Yes. I think that she's, yeah, she played that part beautifully. Almost, yeah, she almost did. like, I wonder if it's typecast that she's crazy. Well, she is that nuts. <laughs> well, yeah. I've, I've never really cared for her as really? an actress. I, I thought she was just, she shows really not. Emo- I mean, the only time I ever saw an emotion out of her is when she'd cry. Oh, she's very emotional in this series i would say i i think she i think she was perfectly cast for it uh-huh. but yeah the writing has just gone all over the place all right here's one for dr basham and andy okay i'm all we're here you ready mm-hmm. we humans consume a lot of antidepressants and that means birds inadvertently do the same while feeding at sewage plants now researchers in the uk suggest that it's taking a toll on the birds libidos making them or at least the females less attractive to prospective mates because they're eating prozac and poop come on oh come on oh come on that's come what on. they're saying that's, uh, come on that's but they don't eat poop well it's because of white men well, yeah for one <laughs> that's not what birds eat <laughs> so i mean white men's fault <laughs> no doubt you guys about poop it way more and that's your fault they eat bugs they bugs that could be, but how how many birds are eating uh, bugs out of uh, human uh, waste or human sewage? I mean, uh, no, yeah. no, no. The robins in my yard aren't eating bugs out of the human uh, out of human sewage, so they're mating just fine. So, so many birds and young birds. No, no, that's well, wrong. Here we go. And their study researchers at the University of York focused on starlings in captivity. They fed the birds worms laced with Prozac on par with what their counterparts in the wild might pick up while eating worms and yeah. insects at sewage plants. And then watched what happened. Dosed, uh, dosed males didn't change much, but dosed females suddenly seemed less attractive to the boys. Male starlings sang less frequently to them and treated them more aggressively, pecking, tugging at feathers. That is typical in the wooing phase. So apparently the boy starlings aren't interested in the girl starlings because of Prozac. Yeah, well. So, wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. The, I know. The female what? starlings are more affected by 
approach. Yes, because they're not attractive to the males somehow. So they're not. How they're, does the male starling know that the female starling is question. on Prozac? I have no idea. No, they don't know that's on Prozac, <laughs> but it's, it, it affects their behavior in that they they don't ruffle their feathers the right way. They don't oh, deceive. Oh, so they're oh, not oh. sending out the signals or the pheromones, maybe ah. the pheromones, that say that I'm ready for you, okay. Mr. Right. Let's do the so dance. Let's, okay. let's make some eggs here and let's fertilize some eggs so we can so I can go lay some eggs and we can have some babies. Okay. That's what's going on. And the men uh, who aren't affected seem to be more aggressive because they they seem they want that sort of attention from the women and they're not getting it so they're more aggressive they're picking no, at their feathers I and doing understand. stuff like that I just, I just, didn't just, it's no different than white men no white different men than white are men. the same way <laughs> identical they're horrible human beings it's the first evidence that law that low concentrations of an antidepressant can disrupt the courtship of songbirds says study co-author Catherine Arnold in a release we're definitely not saying it's bad to take antidepressants, but certainly there's a greater need for new technologies to clean out sewage. Is there? I mean, is there a lack of starlings that we're worrying about? So, so, this, this, is a, so this is a problem with one thousandth of a percent of all starlings, and we're worrying about it now? Because those, that's, the one, that's how many feed on, on worms from a sewer plant? No, I, I thought that actually was a thing, that they were, they were saying that all of the medications that everybody takes is getting circled back into the water supply, because they can only filter out so much. Well, doesn't in, your body absorb most of it? Yeah, and most of it gets broken down in your body. I, I, yeah. But maybe there's a, there's a certain amount that dumps in the stool. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they've been talking about hormones that, you know, birth control pills and everything that everybody's been taking. They've been talking about this for a long time, yeah, and that we, and, it's getting into the drinking water. And we're required uh, in a medical office to uh, any kind of – there's certain medications that have to be kept separate from all others that you then have to be disposed of in a certain way, have to be incinerated in a certain way. And that's a that's – a pro, that's a uh, – EPA kind of a, a guideline that really comes through the county, but it's an EPA kind of thing. It keeps the environment clean. Yeah, so, makes so if, sense. So if you have pills, the, the current recommendation, if you have pills that you're not going to use, whether narcotics or anything, you don't take mm. them to – you don't flush them down the toilet anymore. You take them to the police department, mm. fire department, drop them off there, and those guys will sell them. Well, and <laughs> at like Walgreens and stuff, they have um, – place where you can bring prescription medication that left yeah, over. Yeah, they do, right. Yeah, the, the only thing it says on there, you can't uh, drop off illegal drugs, <laughs> which I wonder how many people are trying to, like, get rid of their stash or something, trying to shove Ooh, it in there. there you but, go. Um, yeah, it's like illegal drugs, and I can't remember. Um, maybe it was, like, needles and stuff like that. It's just for, you know, like, if you have leftover prednisone from something, you know, so... Right. And you oh. don't want to get a hump. What happens if you just throw it in the garbage? Well, same thing. It, it, it could it seep into the groundwater there via rain. Yeah. yeah. The concentrations are so low, though. See? Uh, thanks to Kristen Burt, we talked about this already, and then Ralph talked about the borders on in West Hollywood. This is the problem I have with the news reporting today, and I'm not using the term fake news, even though it is fake news. <laughs> Headline on Newser. The trending news website, Newser. Unanimous vote on Trump's Hollywood star, it must go. Now, unanimous vote by whom? A bunch of See, that's West the whole Coast thing. losers. They put a poll on their website. Yeah, probably. Uh, it's just, honest to God, why do, they even, why do they even use a headline <laughs> like that? It's a flat-out lie that these people have any sway <laughs> over Trump's Hollywood star. They have because nothing to do with all it. all the mental cases that are looking for God. something to be angry about today will, will bite. They'll I, click on it. I mean, they're putting so much energy <laughs> and hate towards a star that's a tile that people walk yeah, on. It's a, it it yes, doesn't yeah. make sense. It doesn't make any sense to me either. Look, I don't like it that Donald Trump's been going after LeBron James at the very same time he's opening a school for kids and he's paying all the bills, even college education, all the rest of it. It just made no sense for him to go after LeBron James. And I'm not a big fan of LeBron James. I uh, ran into him one time at a pool in Las Vegas, and he was one of the biggest pricks I've ever met in my life. So that was me just one time. He was doing cannonballs into the pool, and, you know, he's a very big man, mm -hmm. and he um, was splashing water on little children. 
And so the manager of the hotel came up and said, Mr. James, could you stop doing the cannonballs because you're scaring children? And he replied, and I quote, I does what I wants. I does what That's I what does he said. What I he wants? said, I does what I wants. That's what he said. I'm not making it up. Uh, he also <laughs> has six inch letters on his back that say chosen. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, bit of an ego there. Just a bit of an ego. Hey, he's the greatest basketball player of all time. Can't take that away from him. But then uh, you're but doing he can't great work speak now. speak English, so does it all even well, out? <laughs> this whole, now there's a big argument about his intelligence. Uh, you know, because oh. basically, Don Le- he said, Trump said Don Lemon even made LeBron James look smart, which is kind of a mean <laughs> thing to say, but I don't know. Well, here you go. Akron Public Schools, that's where uh, LeBron James went to school. I'm sure he was a genius. Uh, Akron Public Schools weighs in on LeBron James' intelligence. He's a bright guy. End of story. Bright. Right. I, mean, I don't think he's an idiot. Obviously, the guy's uh, a multi-billionaire now, isn't he? Yeah. I, I, no, I'd, I'd have to agree. I mean, he, if he's reaching out to try to help kids like that, I mean, it's people, wonderful. people have limited uh, intellectual skills, typically I would think it's hard for them to do that. They would never do that. So, yes, it's wonderful what he's doing now. I don't know why our president decides. Yeah, I wish he'd <sighs> shut up. Oh, God. Somebody I, needs to take really his phone. <laughs> yeah, just take his Twitter feed and take I, all of it. Is and, he, like, physically, I mean, have people said, is he physically tweeting or is he telling? Well, that's somebody? what I'm wondering. Is that even him? Or is he, like, telling somebody to him. tweet this? I don't know. I, I think he's addicted to the chaos. Yeah, you're probably right. Social media. attention, yeah. yeah. Or, or that is, that's his negotiating style, is in the midst of chaos. You create the sense of chaos, confusion, uh, or oh, I like you, I hate you, I like you, I hate you, I like you, I hate you, kind of thing. And then, and, and that worked for him. And in some ways it's worked uh, during this presidency, but certainly during negotiations in his business deals. Maybe that's worked for him, and that's what he's, com- that's what he's yeah, comfortable with. yeah. Who knows? And, and I think he's teeing up nothing but business. I don't think he ever thought he was going to be president. I don't think he wants to be president. But what he's doing is teeing up a lot of connections. So when he leaves the office, he'll be the wealthiest businessman on earth or something. How long, how long do you think before she'll serve him with divorce papers after he's out of office? I don't know if he's going to have to even get out of office because she's already arguing with him over all this other stuff with LeBron James and all that. stuff. I don't know. The well, whole thing is a Hollywood script. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can't, it's just, it's you can't even really write this stuff. No, you couldn't even write a story this outlandish. God, all these people, would you just all, you calm down. Jeez, everybody's wound up. What the hell is that? Yeah, and, say, stop, and stop covering these things. Stop covering, you know, stop covering these uh, ultra-conservative racist protests. Don't cover them. Just walk away. Just, no, you don't get any airtime. You, you know, know, I never knew about any when I was a little kid, and that was... You know, not, not that long. I was a little kid in the late 50s, so it was only, you know, 12, 13 years after the end of World War II. And Minneapolis, Minnesota was the most anti-Semitic in the world, anti-Semitic city in the world, after Berlin fell, which was true. But I don't ever remember one, well, the only march I remember, it was phenomenal, and I mean that it was phenomenal, because the Star Tribune, or was the Star and the Tribune, they were separate newspapers at the time, so I don't know which one it was, but 26th Avenue North, right in front of Toots's house, <laughs> two Nazis decided they'd march down 26th Avenue. Two Nazis. Yeah, oh, that, two was Nazis. The, that was their gathering and their parade? They had two of them. Two of them? But here's the problem. <laughs> so the, the Star Tribune photographer, whichever newspaper he worked for, <laughs> takes a snapshot of the Nazis marching down 26th Avenue North, some poor bastard had just left the Red Owl with his bag of groceries, and, you, and he's walking along with him, so it looked like he was a Nazi. <laughs> that was Boycott Red Owl. Oh, God, we'll be right back after this Tom Bernard show. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been to lose weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I'm down over 77 pounds, and I have one more round to go to shed the rest of my unwanted pounds. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did by attending the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner. It is on Monday, August 20th, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. That extra baggage melts away really fast. And one of the best parts is it's just so easy. I am never, ever hungry. 
Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth has educated me on clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods. Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and they can help you, too. Register for the Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner on August 20th. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. If you are a homeowner, you do not want to miss this free event. We are hosting a free seller workshop where we are going to teach you how to net between thirty dollars to $60,000 more on your home sale. Plus, we are going to share our proven systems that will instantly put the control back in your corner. Guarantee yourself the results you deserve when it comes time to sell your house. Our exclusive workshop will be sold out shortly, so call now to secure your free ticket by calling 763-401-SOLD or by visiting sellerworkshop.com. This free seller workshop will be held the week of August 6th. The last workshop sold out very fast, so hurry and call Chris Lindahl Real Estate today to save your free ticket. So call now, 763-401-SOLD, or visit sellerworkshop.com for times, locations, and to secure your free ticket. Okay, you know how it works. Uh, I don't promote people that aren't the real deal or don't do the right thing. This is not a bare-bones situation at all. And the best part is it's free. You know, nothing funnier than Pee Wee Herman dancing yeah, to this I was song. Thinking of that, <laughs> there's Catherine doing the dance. Yeah, my kids say, "I'll play tequila," and my kids will start doing the Pee Wee Herman dance. The Pee Wee Herman dance. I love Pee Wee Herman. That was. I mean, seriously, we used to just watch that show and laugh out oh, loud. God, I it was know. Funny. The kids. And I still don't understand. The guy's whacking a mole in a porno theater what do people think guys do in those theaters i know it <laughs> exactly what, don't go in there i wouldn't yeah, no, go in i'm there. not going in there well it's not like you went to a public movie theater where they were having a, a viewing of like snow white or something well, and did, a bunch of kids were how did they even a... know it was what he was doing in there oh somebody ratted him out probably called the cops probably they, saw who he yeah, was and probably recognized him and say he was you know I do think that when you are a star and you're making your money off of being a children's entertainer, that you should probably stay out of public places like that. <laughs> do Personally, that at home. <laughs> I think yeah, that's a good, a good idea. idea. Poor judgment. Yeah. Yes. Well, I will tell you this. When I was growing up, one of my classmates' older brother was the um, – projectionist at the Astor Art Theater in downtown Minneapolis, which was a porno theater. Astor Art. The Astor Art. It was <laughs> oh, called. I love that one. <laughs> Astor means star, doesn't it? So star art. Yeah. Okay? Astor Art. Yeah, Asterix. But we were over at, the guy I went to school, his name was was Bill, and it was his older brother. And so we're sitting around their house one night, <laughs> I said, so I was in seventh grade, I think. I was in seventh grade. So I said, hey, so-and-so. I won't even say the other guy's name because who knows? Maybe he's hiding the fact that he was a porno theater projectionist. I don't know. Maybe not. But in any case, I said, so what's that like? I mean, you, you show these these dirty movies that wasn't called pornography then. It was called... Dirty movies. Smut. Dirty movies. Smut. Smut. No, yes. dirty movies. Dirty dirty movies. This was, when you were seven, it were dirty movies. Dirty movies. I said, so what's it like in there? You know, you're playing the dirty movies and these... Now, a lot of guys show up, and he goes, yeah, sometimes there are a lot of guys in there. I said, so what's that like? And he goes, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I thought that was fantastic. Uh, He just was shocked that I'd even ask him that question. Did they hand out sanitizer and tissues, I, I hope? Sure hope I sure hope so. I was there looking like I'm going to a, a Gallagher comedy show in my rain slicker. <laughs> yeah. I'm, the, like, I'm know, not touching I, nothing. You know, those kind yeah. of theaters should all be hard surfaces. So, yeah. so you yes. think someone can go in there with a hazmat suit yeah. like uh, Bill Sanit- Murray and yeah. uh, Caddyshack. To go in with just oh, steam clean all the Sanitized hourly. Steam clean everything. Uh, oh. Yeah, no fabric. No oh. fabric. No, no fabric. Does anybody know? <laughs> Know when <laughs> pornography began to be available on the internet? Was it the mid nineties? I'm sure the moment uh, there was an internet. Yeah, you can get pornography pretty... on the internet. 
Yeah, I didn't know. Right? It sure. was pretty early yeah, was when it? internet came. You know, well, no, well that yeah, a common or, thing when the uh, I think the World Wide Web was introduced. I think with a lot of that was in early uh, financing was driven by mm-hmm. pornography and adult content. Oh, was it really? Oh, yeah, and and other kind of private content. So whether if, if you have a special interest groups and in, I don't know, you know. Uh, Guys, well, then you, you had a site to go to. If you had a special interest group and only women or, sh- or short women or tall women or blonde women or whatever. Or buttholes. I mean, hey, <laughs> what? Hey, I'm, tra- I'm, so tra- I'm trying to, you know, be a, this, this is a family. This is a family show. Well, one of the big, Andy, is it true that one of the big cable companies started off as a, as a porno uh, huh. site? I kind of doubt it. That's what they won. I just feel bad for the guys that were so excited about online porn when it first started. Imagine waiting for that website page to load on dial-up. Just don't, use, don't, don't, my God. don't use that word around. In adult content, load. Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> waiting for it to load. Yeah. I just remember going on the internet that early. Like that's when like AOL was big. You had yeah, the chat yeah, rooms right. Right. and stuff well, yeah, like that. That's right. The chat room. So it was all. Uh, it's all theater of the Andy. mind. Yep, mm-hmm. and they had a lot of that going on in chat rooms where, you know. Like... No, BBLs. Bulletin boards. Oh, Joe. Yes. oh that's right. Andy Joe from Louisville just sent me the name Spectrum. He wants you to look under Spectrum Cable. <laughs> but anyway. It's not a big company, I don't think. It was. There, it was it's yeah. Charter. Yeah. What's oh, yeah. Charter now? Well, no, Spectrum doesn't exist Spectrum. anymore. Yeah. What is it now? That's oh, it's Charter. It's oh, it charter, charter Spectrum. So That's what did... No, now it's just Charter. Because you know how it's like Comcast Infinity? It's yeah, yeah, charter that's right. Yeah, Spectrum. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so did Spectrum start oh, as, a, saying. as a horror house or whatever you want to call it? Spectrum know. was launched in 2014, so I kind of doubt it. Oh, no, if it was launched in 2014, oh, it probably wasn't. Really? It seems like it that was an thinking. older... It wasn't a dirty network, so to speak. They're the dirty yeah. networks. Yeah, that's all I'm finding is it's a... No, they've buried all that stuff by now. That's all deep in the web now. Oh! Joe from Louisville says Spectrum still exists in Louisville. See? Yeah, that's who... I have Spectrum for internet because that's who services south of the river. Yeah, we don't have Comcast in our area. Not at all. Mm Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't know who. You know, all those stories get out there and they get around that this happened and that happened, and then you mm-hmm. find out later it's like nah, none of that's true. I don't know. Maybe it is. Uh, maybe it, uh, I don't know. I can't but really I, find anything. I remember in 1990. When did we first have the internet at our house, Andy, out in Dayton? Probably 98. Yeah, we had to wait. 98. Yeah, we had to wait a lot longer than most people because we were just so far that the lines weren't out there. Catherine made a huge mistake because Alex was a was a dancer, oh, and she was going to perform a, a dance at school, and I was supposed to dance with her. So, Catherine, what did you enter, father, daughter, or what did you enter on the internet? Here you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I just yeah, I just wanted photos of um, fathers and daughters. You know, like you know, like touching. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, sweet little you know, yeah. dad dad holding the child or dancing. Right. You know, like innocent Endearing. stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I got, I, got, I, I, everything was like incest and oh, oh god. my god, I was just like my my world was shattered. I was just like I can't stand. Yeah, this. they have better filters now. Yeah. I couldn't when believe. It comes to that. I sure hope so. How did those, How were they able to upload that stuff to the internet in the first place? How did they ever allow that to happen? I don't think anybody was watching. Well, yeah, it, the internet was free. It was lawless. It yeah, was uh, still is. Uh, no censorship, and you could say and do and put whatever you wanted up, and yeah. that's what people want. They they love that absolute freedom. It was uh, the Wild West of yeah. the 90s, pretty much. I mean, everything went up on the internet, and then policing started happening more and more in the early 2000s, I think. That's what when I they... hated about that was, and the guy told me about it, I never went on it, but I guess it was true. If you put in D-I-Z-N-E-Y, if you misspelled Disney, uh-huh. it was hardcore pornography. Oh, yeah. Do you have to do that to kids' stuff? I mean, it's Disney, so a lot of people would, would spell it D-I-Z-N-E-Y because it sounds people like Disney. People think it's funny, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, it's funny. We can put porno up where kids will look. Yeah, great. Thank you. I really appreciate that. But I don't know. It's... The whole thing is just too bad. 
Okay. But everybody's got their own porn now, and they're all good to go. Did they used to have porn on the, uh, what's that, uh, Netflix? <laughs> their delivery sites of... I don't think so. I don't think they did have porn, did they? Huh. I don't know. That's, I, it's a good I question know. if they had adult content on it. We know. like to call... Uh, people, adult content. Uh, yes, yeah, right. People that are evolved, we like to call it adult content. Yes. Rather than, uh, you know, porn. <laughs> porn, oh, how about, porn has that dirty connotation. I don't want that dirty connotation. It's adult content. Mm. I had a re- I had a relative one. She was like a great aunt, and she used to call it horror mongering. Horror mongering <laughs> with a W. <laughs> horror mongering. It's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Apparently, men who liked naked women were horror mongers. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Don't I don't know where she got that, but it all works out in the end. I suppose it's probably true, but you know, it's uh, oh god, it's, this is not good news. What's that? Nicholas Cruz. You guys know anything about Nicholas Cruz? No. Um, here we go. A newly released transcript shows what alleged Parkland shooter told officers. Remember the Parkland shooter, oh, Nicholas Cruz? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Nicholas Cruz says now that he bought guns to battle the demons in his head. Uh, Uh-oh. Swing and a miss at another knuckleball. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Nicholas, let's calm down. A newly released transcript shows Florida school shooting suspect Nicholas Cruz told detectives he bought the gun used in the Parkland attack a year or two earlier because he was afraid of demons and voices in his head. Prosecutors released a redacted transcript of Cruz's post-shooting statement Monday afternoon. Cruz made the uh, the 12-hour statement to Broward Sheriff Detective John Curcio shortly after the February 14th shooting that killed 17 at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and left 17 others injured. Cruz told Curcio, The voice began years ago when his father died and got worse when his mother died last fall. Cruz said the voice would tell him to burn, kill, and destroy. Cruz said he would uh, set fires in a pit and kill wild birds. Cruz said the voice had told him to hurt people the day before the shooting. What the hell is that? It's pretty classic uh, schizophrenia plus borderline personality disorder, it sounds like to me. So when did he make the statement? Right after being arrested? Yeah. Okay. Uh, He would talk about some delusional man Mm -hmm. that is there. And it's a shame that he didn't get help. Yep. They, yeah, really someone is. couldn't say, hey. Once again, he could have been institutionalized, well, but nope. And he was a minor then yeah, when believe, he got those yeah. guns. How did he get those guns? I don't have any idea how a minor gets I don't think he was a minor. Well, when he, he, how old was he when he did it? He said that he two years got before the, he yeah, shot, two years shot before people he, up. How yeah. old was he when he was uh, I thought he was 21, wasn't he? Two years. So wait, when was that? Uh, it was on February 14th of, uh, was that 17 or was it this year? No, it was this it year. It was this year. Yeah. It was February 14th of 2018. So how old is he? Uh, he now. is 19 okay. now. So I guess so, he, yeah, he yeah, was he 17 two years ago. So how did he get yeah. those guns? He probably uh, went to uh, some illegal distribution. Yeah. Probably it. some guy on the corner. You, can you get me a gun? Probably I mean, how, true. How, how, you got the, you got the, you know, the cash. That probably is true. He probably got it from some guy in the corner, bought a gun from him and. Danny is on Skype. Danny's ready. Hello. Danny, what's up? Hey, how are you, man? Who's this, Tom? It is Tom. How are things today? Ah, beautiful. Hey, I didn't sell whoever that guy is that you're talking about. I didn't sell him a gun, for Christ's sake. Yeah, you did, Danny, you liar. (laughs) (laughs) I heard the tail end of that. Oh, my God, this is going to be a fun interview. (laughs) No, the kid, the the guy that uh, pulled out that Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, school shooting says that he bought the guns in the first place to battle the demons in his head. Well, he should have been listening to music and buying my record. It would have been better, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Much, much better. Much better, I would say. (laughs) Now, here's what I have to do. Master drummer, Denny Sewell. Master drummer, Denny. I don't know who wrote that, but it's kind of cool. Best known as a founding member, drummer of Paul McCartney's post-Beatles group Wings, set to release a new album, Uh Boomerang, September 7th. It's coming out on September 7th, Boomerang? Yeah, a month away, yeah. That's wonderful. So how did this all come about? I like this. Well, uh, which part? The McCartney part? No, Boomerang was... A, no, all I've it. been playing with these couple of guys out here. John Chiodini, a wonderful guitar player, and Joe Bag, just an incredible organist. And we've been doing some 
playing around town at different jazz venues and stuff. We did a little tour of um, New York a couple of years back, and we made a record in 12, 2012. And uh, I just got signed to a, re- a new record company out here by the name of Cordo Valley Records, and they gave me the opportunity to actually make it uh, r- r- full on. I mean, the best studios in town had Al Schmidt mix it at Capitol Studios and yeah. uh, using the best facilities available. And uh, the record is really something I'm so proud of. It's a, it's a lot different than anything you're going to hear in the jazz markets. And uh, I believe it. It can be enjoyed by a lot of different people, not just jazz aficionados. You know, I got to tell so you, I'm excited, Denny. That whole thing you were just talking about the, the Capitol recording. And uh, 1977, I went to work for Capitol Records, and they flew me out ah. to the tower out there, and I got to go in the original studio, and they still have Frank Sinatra's microphone in there. Oh well, yeah, they did then anyway. Yeah. I assume they still do now. Oh sure, I saw it. Al showed all that stuff to me. And every once in a while, he'll let a special artist use it. Isn't that just, oh, he lets people use Frank Sinatra's microphone? If you're very special, you get to use it. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're very (laughs) special, Benny, I'm sure. We don't have a singer, so I didn't get to use it. (laughs) Well, that's true. Yeah, you didn't get to use it. I do need to take a very quick break. We'll be right back, and then we have another entire 15-minute segment with you, if that's okay with you, Denny. Fantastic. We will be right back in just a couple of minutes. Denny Sewell, ladies and gentlemen, the record, I'm telling you, the release of Boomerang on September 7th, the physical release of Boomerang. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority is also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers, come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call Roger or Eddie right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Ladies and gentlemen, Denny Sewell promoting the release of Boomerang on September 7th with Denny, uh, the Denny Sewell tri- uh, trio featuring ace players Joe Bag, called a masterful organist by L.A. Times and John Chiodini. That's interesting that he pronounces the name properly. He pronounces it the, the Italian way. Not many people do that anymore, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. He was on the Unforgettable Tour with Natalie Cole. That's very cool. That's really nice. Yes, for many years, actually. I should probably uh, correct you. Uh, I hate doing this to a host, but <laughs> my, I'm, I'm Denny Sywell. Oh, it's Sywell. So it's not too well. No, no. I yeah, it's, even, before, even before I accept after C or in Sywell. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, don't you? You're unbelievable, pal. Oh, so, no, I'm glad you pointed that out. Denny Sywell, it is. Denny Sywell, because it's S-E-I-W-E-L-L, ladies and gentlemen, the Denny Sywell trio. Yes, this is correct. So yeah. get the, well, I've been set well, sir, well, sidewall, sea walls, you name it, you know. As long as they're calling my name, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way, because I get Barnard and Barnard and Bernard, sure. and I get all that stuff. So yeah. I understand. It's not a problem. Sure. Um, so how long you been in the business? First of all, where'd you grow up? I grew up in the Poconos of Pennsylvania, and uh, my dad was a drummer, so that's why I became a drummer. He played with the big bands, and, and uh, 
you know, t- Jimmy and Tommy Dorsey were t- t- 12, 15 miles away in Lansford, Pennsylvania, up in the coal mines, and my dad actually played with those guys. So when I was three years old, I was hearing big band music and started uh, out as a jazz drummer, you know. Uh, I did My first rock and roll gig was Paul McCartney. Really? <laughs> that is unbelievable. That's, That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, I was making some records. I was making some records as a studio guy in New York. I made James Brown and John Denver, Billy Joel, all kinds of people like that. But at the same time, I was doing TV commercials and radio jingles and all that. And it was right. the time when, when uh, jazz or, or light, light swing music was becoming more pop-oriented in the studios in the late 60s there. And that's how I, that's how I met Paul. He, I was one of the top guys, and he came along, and he just took, took a look at about 10 of the drummers that were doing all of the... Uh, a work in New York, and I was on that list, and he just liked my attitude and the way I played, and then we did Ram together and had such a good working experience that he said, hey, uh, uh, take a little vacation, bring your wife over to Scotland, let's hang out a little bit, and uh, so I jumped on that opportunity, and when we got there, he said, I, I miss having a band, uh, how you, how you feel about uh, putting a band together? And I said, yeah, count me in. He said, no, Paul, and I don't rest. want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like I'll never forget when he called me like three days after the audition, when I thought all of the biggest cats in town were going to be, I'll, I'll never get this job. So I went and I did it. I had some fun. I laughed. I think, eh, I'm never going to get this. He calls me up, hold this poll. I went, oh, no. So he says, uh, well, how are you for this record? Uh, can can do you have time next week? I said, just give me a second. Let me look at my book, please. <laughs> and I just jumped up in the air, you know, like, yeah, yeah I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. That is, Denny, so. I was a drummer from the time I was 11 to 19 in a, in a rock band. And I, the reason I became... Well, that's one strike. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but the reason I became a drummer, above because I did some singing too, but um, the reason I became a drummer was I saw the Gene Krupa story. I'll never forget yeah. that. And then I also saw Buddy Rich appear on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I said, well, those two pains in the ass, I got to be a drummer because I'm a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. so it all, so it all out. It That's out a really good call. Good, good call. Uh, drummers are special people. There's no doubt about that. They really are. They really are because we do some strange things. <laughs> I mean, just moving all four of your limbs in a different direction is strange yeah. to begin with, but it takes it a is. special type of person to be be a drummer, you know. Yeah, because you're all usually sitting there in the back behind uh, the people who claim to be musicians, and you're sitting in the back there kind of... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep them on a beat. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I, but we hold it all together without us dead, dead meat, you know. Well, that's true. That's exactly right. But the yep. one, one thing I do love... A, a, a band is only as good as its drummer. No, that's right. And, and later on, I will tell you this, the drummer... Uh, well, like The Who is a good example. The Who is a very good example yeah. because their drummer and their bass player, John Entwistle, was phenomenal playing the bass. Unbelievable. Sure was, yeah. I made some records with John. Did you really? God, how He's wonderful. He's worked with oh, yeah. everybody. We, we made it, Dave. Yeah, I'll work with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we did the, uh, we, we did the Tommy Opera. Um, and right oh. after I left McCartney in London, we really? did live performances there. And Peter Sellers and Keith Moon and everybody was in the cast of characters, Mary Clayton. And we had a rock and roll rhythm section within the London Symphony Orchestra. And uh, it was four nights live performance at the Rainbow Theater in Finsbury Park in London. And it was just an exceptional, exceptional accomplishment. I had a great time. Rick Wakeman and I were, he was a keyboard player, I was a drummer. And there were two guys, a bass player and a guitar player from Australia. I don't remember their names, but I could probably dig out the old... uh, the, the concert uh, folder, you know, from that, that that particular engagement, they probably listed it. Now, I don't remember their names, though, but they were great players, and we had a good time, and I got to hang out with Keith Moon a lot, spend the night out oh, at his house. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, I could go on and on about that, but I'm here to talk about the record. <laughs> no, you are here to talk about the record. We're going to talk about it, but I just, one more comment. Mary Clayton yeah. is one of the greatest singers I've ever heard. She's amazing. Oh, shoot. Amazing indeed. I, I could tell you a story about she had fun with it. We were flying back to, to New York from uh, London, 
And we were in first class, and she had white jeans on. And a steward spilled a little red wine on her jeans. Oh, whoops. And she was like, this steward, like, you know, she could be pretty tough sounding. <laughs> yeah. She's really not. But but every time this steward came by trying to help her or something, she said, you keep that guy away from me. I'm going to cut him. This <laughs> <laughs> guy was deathly afraid of her. She was just God. kidding, of course. That's know, fantastic. She, she, at the end of the trip, she finally says, you know, I was just, I was just pulling your leg there. <laughs> no, I didn't, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, it was cute, though. They're talking to Denny Sywell about the Denny Sywell, uh, uh, the the new uh, album coming out, Boomerang, uh, the Denny Sywell Trio. September seventh is the day. So tell us all about it. How did it come together? Well, it came together by a friend of mine opening up a restaurant here in Woodland Hills, where okay. I live, and uh, he said. Well, you know, can you grab some guys and come in and just play some jazz on a Wednesday night? Let's just see what happens. And I said, yeah, that'd be fun, something easy, you know, just to have. It's so hard for jazz players to find good places to play. So I said, yeah, what the hell? So I'd call a couple of guys, and each week it would be a little different. I'd find anybody who was available. And one week I called Joe and John, and they were available. And Joe brings his little portable organ in, and John's a guitar player. And so that's we only need three of us. And I always loved playing with an organ trio. And it, the first night we played together, it was just kind of magical. I said, wow, this is really good. So we did a couple more nights there. And uh, I said, well, I think we better record this. So we came to my house. I got a little home studio and, uh, you know, the Pro Tools rig and all that stuff. And uh, we just went into my little studio and uh, we started goofing around just recording these songs that we were playing. And so within three or four afternoon sessions, these guys are all so busy. I could get three or four hours of their time once every couple of weeks, but we made a record and it was, I was pretty damn proud of it. So um, I manufactured it myself, produced and did everything myself and just put it out on my website, you know, and we did five McCartney songs on it. So we took some of his songs, which would, would help with the sales, you know, and just turn them into a jazz piece. And it was kind of fun. And so the hardest part is finding a night when we're all available to do a, a gig here in town or even out of town. So, uh, so anyway, we're, we're, uh, we're going along. It's been since 2012, the record came out, it's called reckless abandon. It's really a good record too. And, uh, and now that we had a, a second opportunity to, to do it and do it right, you know, we, we just really sat down and took a look at what material we wanted to play. And John uh, said, well, I don't, I don't think we should do as many McCartney songs. And I agreed, but I said, we should do one. And uh, we should do one because uh, it's my paying homage to, to Paul for putting my name up there right. on top of the list, you know. So why don't we do the track that I'm best known for, which is Live and Let Die. And I don't know if you guys had a chance to hear it, but uh, did you hear it yet? Yeah, I I, I did absolutely. Oh, you did. I'll okay. tell you what. Well, you did the original recording too, didn't you? Oh, I did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. Yeah. So I thought it'd be great to to put that on the album, and uh, that that was just released uh, last week, was it? As a, the grab track. I think it was Monday. Or was it last? Yeah, it was just a while ago. You, yeah. If you ordered the record, or pre-order the record on Amazon, you got a grab track of uh, Live and Let Die. And I think today or yesterday, yesterday was Cheetahs and Gazelles, oh, which is right. another one of yep. the tunes. Uh, yep. Cheetahs and Gazelles is kind of, we, we, we do a, a lot of this, the material on this record are very upbeat, energetic, uh, Brazilian kind of, you know, not strictly Brazilian, but... Uh, they have a Brazilian influence by all means, which is one of my favorite kinds of music anyway. And this was a song that John, John Cudini wrote, uh, Cheetahs and Gazelle. He was watching a wildlife show one day, and this, this uh, cheetah was after a gazelle, you know, and he's gaming on him, he's chasing him, he's gaming, he's gaming, he's, just as he's ready to pounce, gazelle goes, oops, and turns left and just disappears. <laughs> And and uh, they freak John out watching it, and this song kind of does that. The music goes and goes and goes, and just when you think you're going to get it, and you're the, boom, it takes a little left on you. <laughs> and I, I'm really thrilled with this. The the music that we chose to put on this record 
was really challenging musically. In fact, we were reading uh, arrangements on the session itself. Um, we had three quick rehearsals over here at the house, and that's how music is best when if you don't overdo it, you know, just learn the basics of the song, get used to hearing it, and then go for the magic. And uh, it was recorded within two, three days, I guess, the whole album. Uh, we did uh, more time mixing and, and all of that stuff than we did actually recording it. So I tell you, I'm Danny, thrilled with it. It's really a great record. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, that is great. It really is. You, you were talking about you know jazz influence earlier, big band music, of course, because your dad. But uh, I met this yeah. beautiful young woman who's now my wife, actually. And many, many years ago, we went to Chicago and we're walking down the street, and I see this sign, and down at some some basement bar, I can't even remember what, where it was or whatever, it said Lionel Hampton Live. And I said, that cannot be Lionel Hampton. Remember <laughs> oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we sure. went down. What? Was it the Happy Medium? I the mean, Happy Medium you, on Rush Street years yeah, ago? Yeah, you know what? I think you're 100% right. That's amazing, Denny. It was, well, I lived around the corner from it. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say that you were the drummer on that session. <laughs> no, uh, but I was in Chicago in 1976 for a year. I was producing a record for, for RCA, a, a kid named Bill Quaitman. Uh -huh. And uh, we kind of got stranded out there, so we we couldn't make it back to L.A. till a year later. We were only supposed to be there for three months making the record, but it was... a it lasted a lot, lot longer, and we did some live touring. It was a great band. It was a fun time. But and Chicago is a wonderful town. It is a great. Town. I love everything about it except winter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. So, well, but you, you probably got sick of that in Pennsylvania, didn't you? Oh boy! When you have to <laughs> dig a tunnel out your front door to get out, to dig a tunnel to get your car out, you know. Uh-uh. No, it's true. We got a guy I like living in L.A. where you come home, you push a button on the car, your garage door opens, you go through your garage, you drop your drawers, and you jump in your pool. You know, that works for me. <laughs> yeah, I understand that completely. Ladies and gentlemen, Denny Sywell, Boomerang, September 7th with the Denny Sywell Trio. Great talking to you, sir. See, I just love your enthusiasm. Uh, music has been your life, and, and I just love talking to musicians. Absolutely, yeah. Been around it their whole life. Oh, thank you, thank you, Tom. Yeah, man, you sound like. Oh. But did we lose him? I'm guessing his producer cut him off because oh. yeah, he's just gone all of a sudden. Oh, that's too bad. Shoot. As well, soon as it, it hit 155, well, no, it was about a bit into 155, so I don't know what happened. I, I wonder. Too bad. I wonder if he, he's there in 1976. I wonder if he was running around with any of the Playboy. Uh, Oh, uh, the Playboy, Playboy man! I'm sure you know entertainment. Well, look He's at me when you talk about the Playboy man. No, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. talking. Well, you know, uh, Catherine knows who might have been there. He may have met Lindsay, my wife. Oh, that's right. Because she, you know, she, she ran with well, the she, crowd. She, she was with the Playboy agency as a model. She never did a centerfold, but she was there with them, and she ran with some, some of the real actresses, so to speak. Unbelievable. Yeah. No, I tell you, remember that when we went in there and saw Lionel Hampton? We yeah. sat we sat about 10 feet from him. There was a table right there. The smoke it, was so thick you couldn't see oh, the stage. Oh, you couldn't even see in there. Yeah. That's you why can't you went even in, see yeah. the stage. <laughs> That's right. What? Who was in here? And it was all kinds of smoke, too. <laughs> but I was like, man, I thought, I'm, this is very lucky. The first time we go traveling and we get to go see Lionel Hampton just happened upon him. It was unbelievable. We'll be back. Hour three, Tom Bernard Show.